Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. Hey everybody, Max Boltman here again alongside Corey Pronman for another Friday Prospect Edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. we got a packed episode on the docket today. We're going to dive deep into the defensemen from this year's draft. Corey's going to also give us his dispatch from the USA Hockey U18 camp. And as always, uh, we're going to take your questions at the end. So Corey, how's it going? You're, you're on the road right now, right? Yeah, I, I spent a couple of days in, in Buffalo, Amherst to be specific, uh, for, for USA Hockey's uh, Select 17 camp, uh, where this is not the U.S. National Team Development Program. This is a different team comprising USHL players, high school players, uh, who uh, competed to make their Hlinka Gretzky team where they'll compete in Europe in a couple of weeks. How was that? I mean, what, what stood out? What do you look for in an event like that? Uh, well, for me, uh, I mean, you, you hear of a couple of guys going in, but for me, these, especially guys who might have played USHL, but for me, like, these are a lot of, like, guys I'm watching for the first time, whether live or on video. Um, there's a lot of guys, like, you've heard about, you've talked to some scouts, and be like, yeah, yeah, this guy's big time, or something along those lines. Um, but, yeah, for me now, it's just, like, I mean, traditionally, this camp happens after the NHL draft because usually, you know, July 1st, the NHL draft is over. This is like the one, the first event where we really turn the page and start focusing on the next draft. Uh, and this year, uh, as always, unique year, uh, we're, we're, you know, starting to, be, you know, starting to build the book for the 22 draft before the 21 draft is quite over. Uh, so a little bit of juggling on that front. But this is definitely, for me, this is a definitely a first introductory uh event to the landscape of what does the high school front look like in 2022 and what does the ushl front look like well we got a couple of questions about these actually that, that i'm just going to pull you know we don't need to go through them in individually i guess necessarily but like what, what did you see at this event Who, what are some names that stood out to you the big names uh in terms of the guys who really stood out that if i was an nhl uh, fan i would want to know about would be cam lund who will probably play in green bay uh in the ushl next season Six uh, one uh, right shot center, good skater, really skilled. 
uh, you know, kind of guy just jumps out right at you on the ice. Uh, definitely a guy you should know. Uh, Mikey D'Angelo, a left winger also with, with, with good size and, and really good skating and finishing ability. Uh, late 04, so he's 2023 eligible, but he was definitely one of the top standouts at that camp. I think he'll be with Dubuque in the USHL next season. Um, I believe he's committed to ASU. I'm not 100% on that. Um, and the, the one defenseman that really stood out was Hunter Bersevich, uh, NTDP defenseman who missed most of the season due to injury. So that sometimes when that happens, they'll send the NTDP kids uh, to the Holinka. Uh, a strong skater, really high level of hockey sense. Not that big, but not small either. Uh, Michigan commit. Uh, those are the three guys that really stood out to me. Uh, Minnesota people speak really highly of Zan Plant. You know, really, really skilled player. Uh, really high level of hockey sense. Skating for his size isn't amazing. So I, I thought he was up and down in the camp, but I think he's expected to be a top player at the tournament. And some other secondary guys you should know. Jimmy Clark on, on the wing. Uh, Gavin Hayes, OHL player on the wing. Cole Knubel on the wing. Uh, and I would say Sam Renzel and Ryan Healy on defensemen are some of the other guys NHL fans uh, should know about in terms of guys looking forward out of the USA that are not NTDP for the 22 and, and 23 draft classes. Was it uh, a pretty good buzz from people? Just uh, excited to be back doing an in- in-person scouting event again? Yeah, well, there's been other in-person scouting events, but we didn't have this last year. There was no Flinka Gretzky last year, so it was def- it's definitely good to see you know, some return to a normal cycle of the schedule. We're not 100% of the way there yet, but we're we're getting closer. And to, to be able to get uh, all the high school and the USHL guys together and, and, and get a, and, you know, really see like a, a mass scouting event, all the teams were there. There was some t- teams with multiple scouts there um, in the unique climate that a lot of them are preparing for a draft in a couple of weeks uh, was definitely really interesting. And I thought it was a great event. Yeah, absolutely. All right, well, I want to transition then in, into our main segment today, which is going to be the defenseman of this year's draft. Really, the, the defenseman that we think can go in the first round range. We'll go through them kind of one by one here. The first one, I don't know how much more time we really need to spend on it. Like, Owen Power, we expect to go first overall. Is there anything left that you want to say about Owen Power that we haven't already? No, and I think, you know, like all first overall picks, they can get a little covered ad nauseum a little bit. And I think, you know, credit goes, you know, uh, to him for the season he had six six defenseman with great skating and hockey sense. There's a, l- a lot of value there. Uh, I I prob you know I was always on a little bit on the fence at times on the season on whether he would get distinguish himself uh, as, as he did throughout the season. Some scouts I talked to around the league, uh, you know, were on the fence with me, and some were you know he's number one all the way. So I think credit to them because that's kind of where the season ended in that regard and. You know, I, you know, he's expected to become a, a big-time NHL defenseman, whether it's next season or the season after that. Uh, you know, he, this, this guy looks like he's going to have a very long and productive career in the NHL. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's go to the next defenseman then on your rankings, and that's Luke Hughes out of the NTDP, Michigan commit. You know, it, you knew it by his last name. Beautiful skater. He's extremely mm-hmm. young for the class. And, you know, for a guy who has two top 10 pick brothers who have kind of lived up to their hype so far, or, or at least mostly, I mean, Jack's still pretty early into, into his career. Uh, he Luke's also the biggest of the family, despite how young he is for this class. So what do we think of, of Luke Hughes, his prospects when he gets to the NHL? Like what's kind of your best case scenario here? I, I think you look at Luke Hughes and he's probably one of the, you know, I think right after power, 
Um, yeah, yeah, like I said, he's my number two ranked defenseman, but I think you can argue in terms of pure, pure upside. He's, he would be, you know, whether one, two or three overall in the class, like he's, he would be in that discussion because it's elite, elite skating ability. You can drop him in an NHL game tomorrow and, and he would, you know, stand out immediately with his skating ability. Uh, he has offense in his game. It's not offense like his brothers, but it's very good offense, very skilled. He has offensive creativity and instinct. So you know, I think that package gets you really, really excited. You know, he's not a perfect player, um, even though he has the size and he has tremendous skating ability. It is a little concerning that he wasn't a standout defender uh, this past season. And you can kind of look at things both ways. Both of his brothers aren't, you know, particularly Quinn is not really a strong defender. So you're like, oh, well, here, here we go again. But on the other hand, he's such a young player, you know, a week or so away from being 23 draft eligible. And I think there are the people who believe in him will say, you know, when you have that kind of skating and, and that length, you know, you can teach him to defend. And, and I think it's going to come. And I think he's going to be an absolutely great two-way defenseman. And there are some others who aren't as convinced. Uh, you know, I think there are some scouts who think he's a top five guy and some who think he's more like a six to 12 guy, depending on what you think on the defending, uh, you know, how, how good the puck game is exactly. Uh, but I, you know, I, th- I would expect he'll go into Michigan next season and, and play really, really well with that loaded group of, uh, of players they'll have it uh, on campus next season. This is one of the things I would struggle with the most, like in, in scouting. You know, Luke Hughes missed a couple of, of premium events at the end of the year, that, where where I think he he could have helped himself. Um, you know, with the U eighteen Worlds and, and all that stuff. But when I saw him, it's exactly what you said. Like the skating jumps out immediately, and you're you're ready to fall in love with with this prospect uh, off the way that he moves. But the defending to me, like I still. I still want to see it happen. Like, I, but, but so much of scouting is projecting. And, and when you look at the tools that he has, a, a guy who moves the way he does, who has the size that he does, who's a relatively smart player, pretty smart player. You, those are all the things that you would say are, are what's going to help make a good defender. But when I saw him live, he didn't defend well. Yeah. And I think there, you know, there's a, there's an aspect of physicality. Some guys just aren't, you know, you know, prone to play physically. And, and that's a part of it, but I, and that's the kind of thing, you know, if he's, if he had played other, let's say he wouldn't have, but if he played another year of junior hockey, if he was like a late, you know, late, you know, late 03 next season, if he was born a week or two later, would he have just been an amazing defender in the USHL? You know, I would probably say it's, there's a decent chance that would have happened, but he's going to play college hockey next season. We'll, we'll see how he does in, in that role. Um, and I think you're, I would kind of, I think you have to balance those risks. You have to balance what you've actually seen and then you have to balance the attributes. And, and usually kind of like you said, when you're that big and you're that good a skater, usually coaches find a way to turn that into a good defender. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So then another guy who I think kind of falls on the opposite side of that coin is a guy who is your third ranked defenseman. That's Brant Clark and Barry in the OHL. I actually did a long uh, piece on on Brant this morning uh, on the or, or Thursday morning on on the Athletic, and and for him it's you know the skating is the question. I mean, on the opposite side of Luke, who who just moves so fluidly, Brant Clark looks a little awkward uh, while skating, but you you see that some of the things that you have rated highly, uh, specifically his puck skills, and there are some people who really love his sense. Where do you fall ultimately on on what Brant Clark is going to be? Uh, we we are recording this on the eve of, of Adam Fox winning the Norris, who is not that big and he's not that strong a skater. Uh, so I think you, you hear that name a lot whenever I, I discuss Brent Clark with scouts, not 
in saying that he's going to be Adam Fox. Obviously, that'd be a best best sure. best case scenario. But in that, you know, if you have a certain, you know, if your puck game is really really good, you can find a way to be successful in the National Hockey League and, and have an impact, even if your skating is not that strong. Now, with that being said, I, I he, he's not you know minor one rated or number two rated defenseman. If I thought he was Adam Fox, because I I don't think the offense is that that good. I think it's really good. I think he has excellent puck skills. I think he is a he's a very smart player with the, with the puck. I think he can make some really high end plays. Uh, but Adam Fox, when you watch him in, in junior and college, looked you know just unreal with some of the plays he could make with the puck. I, I haven't seen quite quite that level from from Clark to to say he'll be that. But I think there's a lot of offense there. You know, quite a lot of offense. I think he could be a really good uh, top four defenseman, a guy who could be your PP one type. But I also don't know if he's going to, because of the skating, I, I I would struggle to say that he's going to be the guy, you know, like like a power that you're going to put out there to play against really good players, you know, and and lean on in almost any situation. He may, because of the skating, he might be, need to be used in a very specific way. To dig a little deeper on the skating, because I think people can, you know, like like when you're in the offensive zone and you're the defenseman, obviously you want to be able to move around, but he, he can do that. What, what you're really worried about, what I'm really worried about, at least with the skating, is the backward skating and how he's going to be able to defend against speed, pivot a, a, against kind of guys who, who are entering the zone. These are the things where he, he just, he has a really wide stance and that can be, make it difficult to kind of recover when, when you are faced with guys who are just faster than you. Yeah, he's a little knock need, and it's not that explosive. And, and it's, it's what you said. It's it's how can he play against you know the six one six two guy who can fly, and 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 how do you defend that if you can't gap him up really well? And on the other side is also when he gets the puck in his defensive zone or he gets it in the neutral zone, uh, can he escape pressure? Uh, can he skate pucks out of trouble? He's he's a really good passer, so he, he can make a lot of plays, but you can't just pass him. In every scenario, uh, you you know when you have great skating, it lets you get out of certain situations, lets you get away with some mistakes. Uh, so, and just in general, you know you you turn on an NHL game and you could probably count through a lot of guys who are really strong skaters on the ice. Uh, it doesn't mean if you're not that you can't be successful, but it it, it puts you at a disadvantage right away. I mean, what stood out to me, like, so there's these plays that you can go through, and I, I did this in the article with Clips, is there's plays that he defends successfully at the junior level. I mean, he uses his stick. He uses, like you just said, his gap. He's, you can see the smarts that he has, and, and it's like, okay, so he's finding a way to do this. And the question is just, will those things work? Will those those different, I guess, adaptations he's made to defend anyway at, at this level, will they translate one level up? Yeah, and and that's a you know that's an important question because there are a lot of guys, defensemen and forwards and goaltenders who don't have the high in athleticism who succeed in junior hockey. But when you talk to NHL teams, the, that's where the translation question comes into: is this works here? It doesn't work there, and that doesn't mean it doesn't always work there. There are many examples of great skaters, of, of poor skaters who have successful NHL careers. I was. Uh, just doing a video on Jason Robertson uh, um, yesterday, and, and his skating looks absolutely terrible. But he is a he is a legitimate top of the lineup NHL player. He's a, he's a really important player for Dallas's future, and his skating is you know really awkward and, and lacks explosiveness. 
And, and sometimes those guys work out and sometimes they can't get out of the American League. There, there's no guarantees. You're just – when you're trying to project teenagers, you're, you're making bets based on the evidence you have. Yeah, and really ultimately with almost all of these guys, you're making a bet on something, right? Like there's some question that almost all of these guys are going to have that when they get to the pros, a development staff is going to have to dig in. And whether it's making technical tweaks, almost all of them are going to have to add strength or sometimes it's just, can you do this thing a little bit differently? I, I talked to someone who suggested, well, why doesn't Brant Clark just try to defend a little bit differently than he does? Why doesn't he just not try to take these guys going backwards? Can he can he angle off and, and try to defend forward, going forwards against them and, and keep them to the outside? Like These are all the little things that a, a team can work on with a player um, in spite of them having a question once they get them into the system. Right. And I don't mean to, to bounce around. I know we had a, a structured order to what defense we want to talk about. But the, the on the argument of bets, like I, I was talking with a scout the other day about Daniel Cheka, uh, the defenseman from from, uh, from Guelph who played in Russia this season. Because uh, he's been, obviously he didn't have a great season. He was he was criticized. He's been criticized a little bit by by scouts and in the public. And, you know, I, I asked him, like, how like the, how many times do you watch like an American League hockey game or a KHL game? And, and I watch a lot of those leagues, KHL, American League, SHL, and you see a 6'3 defenseman who can really skate. Like, like how many of those guys exist in those leagues? And from all the games I've watched those levels, it's a really small number that come to mind, especially if they have a little bit of offense and then like I think Cheka does. So it's why when, when I think of scouts watch Cheka, they see 6'3, really good skater, you know, has, has a little bit of offense. They're like, yeah, he's playing in the NHL. No question about it. Is he third pair? Is he second pair? You know, that's, that's where the debate is. But when, when you don't have those obvious attributes, it's, you're, you're taking a little bit more of a gamble. Well, let's just do the, let's do Chica right now then, because you, you do have him, uh, like, I mean, obviously six foot three with, with NHL average skating. That's a great place to start. You've also got him with an above average shot, above average sense, above average compete. I mean, is your only question on him the, the puck skill and the offense then? Um, yeah, like, I think he is, I don't think he lacks offense. Like, I don't think you're realistically, putting him onto an NHL power play unless it's your second unit and you're in a bind. Um, just but because I just don't see him as that kind of natural skill puck moving type. But you've seen him, you know, in, in the Ontario Hockey League with Russia's U18 team, with Russia's uh, U20 team, uh, not in the World Juniors this year, but but in a, other tournaments he was playing power play roles and Looked absolutely competent doing so because I think he has good hockey sense. He has a hard point shot. Uh, he has good length and mobility to escape pressure and and, and kind of change and change lanes a little bit. And when you add, I don't think this is like this overly physical defender, but but he's good enough defensively because kind of what you said when you're six three and you can skate, you break up a lot of plays as long as you have a reasonable understanding of the position and, and are reasonably competitive. And I think you just kind of look at all those things. You say, yeah, the skating, the NHL quality, this. The size, obviously, is NHL quality. There's enough offense there to be NHL quality. And you think, this is an NHL defenseman. He's a guy I think could very well be a second-pair defenseman. I could see, as he kind of showed this season, there may not be enough offense for him to get there. But I talked to enough teams who believe that he could. And that's why I think he will. I'm not going to say he's a lock to be a first-round pick because he did not have the best season at the World Juniors or in Russia. But I would expect that he's going to go in the first round. All right. So, so speaking of guys who are very tooled up, I guess, so to speak, then let, let's go to, to your, who's your number four defenseman in this draft, which is Simon Edvinson. And it's not that different, ultimately, of a toolkit than Owen Power, it seems to me. I mean, great size, good skating. Uh, it's a player who you can see some puck skill come through. 
is it just a question of production for you? Like, where does Simon Edvinson fall short compared to some of these these top names? Yeah, I mean that's a good observation, and I I I would say that I talked to some NHL scouts who made that same argument you just made. Like, why is he so much worse than Owen Power? It seems like a similar player, and but and I talked to some others who would push back on that, and and I would see a, a gap in that. I think Edvinson. Um, is a strong skater for his size, but he's like not what he wouldn't doesn't have that kind of you know really really you know good quickness that Owen Power does. Like he's just in terms of like the scale, there's there's a, there's some separation there. Not to say that his skating isn't an asset, but it's not the kind of asset that it is for Owen Power. Um, but the puck games are somewhat similar. I would say Evanson is a little bit more one on one skill, um, whereas Power I don't think is. A lot of that, but his passing is is really really strong. Where I think Evansons is just good, and obviously there's a little bit of a size gap there too. Evansons I think like six four, six four and a quarter, and and Powers more six five and a half, six six. So there's a little bit of a size gap there to go with much better, a much but a better skater. Um, so that's where that difference would come for me. Evans and I watch, and I think you know this guy is going to be a top four defenseman. Uh, the kind of you said, is there enough offense there? And is he is the defending even like that that high end to be a true top pair defenseman, or is he just going to be this really like solid number three? And I would probably lean towards the latter in terms of the projection, just because I don't think he's really the last two seasons show that he can elevate to be you know this really dynamic offensive guy. I haven't seen this really amazing all around play like we saw like from Jake Sanderson in his draft season. Uh, but he's a really good player who does a lot of really good things. Yeah, I, and that's totally fair. I, I just can't help thinking after these playoffs and watching the way that teams have had success with these defense cores of big mobile defensemen, that even if teams do share that question, like maybe if they're not sure that the production is going to come here for Edmondson either, I wonder if you know the way that this league can kind of work sometimes is is that the last cup winner sets the narrative, right? Like I wonder if that just reassures teams he delivers that top five, top ten value. Either way, yeah, and just talking to people around the league, I, 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 he's number four, but defenseman, but I, I expect he will not be the fourth pick defenseman uh, when the draft actually happens. I think he's going to go really quick. Yeah, for sure. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with twenty four seven U.S. based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, I want to move now into kind of the next grouping, I guess. And maybe maybe that's not fair to even call it the next grouping uh, in your in, in the rankings here. Um, but, but there is a guy who I think... Coming into the year, at least I thought of as being in almost right in that same tier, um, and now he kind of doesn't seem to be there, and that's that's Carson Lambeau. So where did he kind of fall off from that top four pack uh, in, in the last year? Yeah, that's a good question because he was really strong as an underage in Winnipeg. He played huge minutes for uh, for the ice, um, all situations. You know, recorded a, you know a really solid number amount of points. Not not like amazing, but really solid number. For a 16-year-old, he was one of the top defensemen at the U17 Challenge. Other, you know, international camps you've seen him at over time. He also stood out, so the, there was a lot to like there. But I think you also watched the player and said 6-0 defenseman. 
he's skilled, but it's not like jump out in your face skill like a guy like Clark was. And you can see how if this guy doesn't deliver, people are going to start to get a little bit worried. Even though I think the things that get you excited, other than the skating, is he's really physical too. He's like a really strong defender for that reason. But he's not that big, and it's not elite skill. So, so then he goes over to Finland this season, and he's good enough. But you start, you know, you watch his games, you talk to even the people who are at his games live, and they're like, "Well, he doesn't really. He's not really doing a whole lot." And and that's concerning if you're talking about a top ten, top fifteen pick. And then he comes back to Winnipeg, plays a game or two, uh, also you know, some success in them, some some not as much, uh, and and his season ends prematurely. Uh, due to a medical issue, and and, and that medical issue, uh, which you know, I, you know, I've heard some rumors about what it is. I can't report it without you know doing you know without you know checking with uh, you know my sources and making sure legally I can disclose it. Uh, does concern teams, uh, but I think that's also where some teams wonder too when when they've interviewed him and and talked about him. I you know, did that linger into his play in Finland uh, and. If you get the clear from the doctors that after, you know, after his operation he, he's ready to go, you know, do you how much is he going to look like the guy he was as, a, as an underage who looked like a no doubt top four defenseman? So I think that's where the that's where the balance is going to be with him is all this these different kinds of information. And you talk to some teams who are like like absolutely not uh, in the first round, way too much risk. And there are some who are like, yeah, yeah, I really believe in this player. I you know I've we've done a lot of homework on him. We think he's a top four guy. Uh, we're excited to get him. So I think ultimately he'll go 15 to 25 in the draft because eventually odds are you're going to run into some team that's going to be really excited to get him. But I don't think you're going to see a team make the play to get him based on where his underage stock was. Yeah. The, the other guy who I think kind of in this maybe teens range potentially, maybe he gets into the 20s too, uh, is another Western Canada kid, and that's that's Corson Coleman's. You and Craig Button had a really great back and forth on the last episode that I'd encourage everybody to go back and listen to for for an understanding kind of a, on on Coleman's game. But ultimately, the the long and short of it is decent size, six foot one, right shot D, good skating, put up a bit of offense. But he also is coming from the AJHL, and that as you guys I think talked about a little bit, like it, it's it is a little harder to kind of know what to what, what the, the the context of that league adds a little bit of uncertainty because it's not the WHL. It's not the competition you're seeing from a guy like Lambos. Yeah, and really unique season in that regard, too. He's the only guy, I think, seven or eight AJHL games uh, last season. And some games he was good and some games he was poor. And it wasn't really that many games. And he goes to the U18 Worlds and he plays well. And it's like, well, what do you do with that? Um, you know, it's, it's an interesting question. Because in a normal season, he would have gone to a Holinka Gretzky. Uh, he would have gone to a World Junior A Challenge. And then the U18 rules, maybe a CJHL, a CJHL top prospect game, a full AJ season. Uh, there will be a lot uh, to go on, but you don't have that. So if he has one of those two or two bad games, and as this, some of the scouts I talked to said, he's making a bunch of turnovers, he doesn't look good defensively. Like, oh, he's a dumb player, doesn't defend well. And it's like, you know, you watch the one game where he isn't like that, you're like, oh, he, he, he can play differently. And like he did at the U18s, for example. And and I think, but for me, it's you know, six two, good skater, has pretty good skill. He's physical. Like I've seen him, you know, really like land some big time hits at the AJ level, and 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 be a, you know a force in that regard. And when I've watched him, you know, U seventeen challenge, U eighteen worlds, I've seen guys who could, I've seen a guy who can move the puck and not be that you know a defensive liability in any regard. So 
I lean to the optimism camp with him. I think there's I think there's a lot to come. I think he'll have a really strong season in Wisconsin next season. But there's so limited information with him. If, if someone doesn't like him, I can't really fault them that much. You can get the limited data and, and perceive it in various ways. Real quick, what do you think the floor for him is in terms of how far he could fall down under this draft? I mean, is it is it similar deal with Lambos? Probably by 25, you'd expect he's off the board, or is it sooner? Yeah, yeah, I think I don't think he'll get out of the first. Like I think Jacob might get out of the first because he, he definitely didn't have a great season. But I think with Kuhlman's uh, and, and Lambos might get out of the first if people are really worried about the medicals. But I think Lambos, I think Kuhlman, sorry, will definitely you know go in the first round. It's just a matter of whether it's the teens or the twenties. Yeah, for sure. The last guy that, that I I had kind of circled. I'll, I'll ask you in a minute if there's anyone I'm missing. Um, is a guy who you had ranked, I, I believe, 16th, and that's Kirill Krasanov, uh, defenseman from SKA in, in the KHL. Is it SKA or Ska? How do you say that? It's called, people in Russia say Ska. Okay, I will say Ska. Uh, left shot D from Ska in the KHL. And and, and for an 18-year-old to play uh, in the KHL for a top team like Ska, that immediately jumps out. He's a little old for the class, which I realize. And... Uh, but you, you've you got him ranked 16, but in the last mock draft, I think he's the last pick of the first round. So where is the disconnect there? Why do you expect him to go so much later than where you rank him? Yeah, um, and that's, well, the mock draft is just based on what I'm hearing around the league. And yeah. I don't talk to a lot of teams that think he's a first rounder. I hear minority opinions about that. I hear some say, yeah, we really we like this guy. We're not overly excited. You kind of hear some whispers that this might be a guy people are hoping that will We'll get to them in like an early second that they can jump on. I am hearing a little bit of first round buzz as we get closer to the draft, um, but not enough as like some of these other guys where I keep hearing it over and over and over again yeah. uh, to say that he's going to go in the first round. I would guess he's going to go 25 to 45 if I had to do like a mock draft range for him. In terms of what I've seen, you know, I've obviously watched this guy a lot the, the last two seasons. Uh, the first time I saw him, was it uh, the last Linka Gretzky that took place, which was in 2019? I remember watching him there. He was there as an underage, and I just thought he was really impressive. Just this guy, this rather mobile defenseman who used his skating to make a lot of defensive stops, had some power play touch, moved it really well. And you're like, oh, he's interesting. You'll see what he is next year. And I thought as this season went on, he just kept showing more and more. Uh, you know, a guy who I thought, you know, didn't excel in the KHL, but definitely didn't look out of place, which, you know, as you kind of said, when you are able to get a regular shift on Ska, uh, that was, you know, that's, that, that made me notice him when he went to the World Juniors and just kept seeing his ice time go up and up as this tournament went along and uh, when it almost when it looked like he wasn't even going to make the team at the beginning of the season. Uh, they, they played him as a forward, I believe, in their first U20 camp in the summer. Hmm. Uh, and then he comes, and now he's like on the top pair, you know, on, on their top defense pair by the end of the tournament when they're Trying when they're in the medal round, uh, playing top power play, penalty kill. You saw him. He, you know, he saw some progression there. He goes in February uh, to the national team where he doesn't play amazing, but he's playing against you know some of the best that Sweden, Finland, Czech Republic have to offer, and he's taking regular shifts, a little bit of power play time, you know, moving the puck well. And that to me tends to be indicators of guys that will in the in the next year or two years, I think you're. You know, with his skating and with a, with a lot of hockey sense, uh, I think even though he's his conditioning isn't the best, I still think the skating doesn't isn't isn't that affected by it. Uh, I think this is a guy that will excel. Maybe I'm wrong. I've been wrong before, but but this is a guy that, I, that I've seen a lot of good things from from the last two years. 
Well, I really like the point that you made in your write-up on him in, in on your draft board, which is doesn't put up a ton of points, but every coach he plays for leans on him. To me, that's just it's a very good indicator. I mean, ultimately, when you look at how good of a team Scott St. Petersburg is, and he's dressing for them in the KHL playoffs. Again, I know he's old for the draft class, but in the draft year, that carries weight to me because it tells me that the coach really likes him. Right, and 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 Brock and the coach also was the national team coach as well, but um but yeah no for sure uh i guess i just from not just that team but with lariana with the u20 team and and with the u18 team the season before yeah just every every, he just plays big minutes all situations uh quite often yeah any defenseman that i did not list in that grouping who it would not shock you if they sneak into this top 31 uh i think shy boyum is one that i keep hearing a little bit of buzz about defenseman with sioux city in the ushl denver commit uh, 6'3", 6'4", defenseman with really good hands and really good offensive instincts. Uh, anytime you don't have a guy who's not a great skater and didn't put up a ton of points, I would be maybe hesitant to say he's for sure going to go in the first round. It would be a kind of guy I would think would sneak in the last couple of picks. Um, but he ended his season really, really well. Good USA top prospect game, as you kind of mentioned with the Luke Hughes thing. That, that, that's always a variable. And a really strong last month or two when Sioux City really made a push there for the playoffs. And uh, he's a guy I keep hearing a little bit of buzz about. Um, I, I, I would say Stan Sposville, Stanislav Sposville in the Czech Republic still has a chance. Did not have a good season. Didn't have a bad season, but didn't have a, a season of a, of a first round pick. And for that reason, I'm guessing he's going he's gonna to sneak out. But, uh, you know, 6-1, good feet, good enough offensive game. That I think he has a shot. And the, and the last one would be uh, Evan Naus from Quebec. Another guy kind of like Boyum where um, not a ton of offense. I can see it not happening, but because he's got size and skating ability and some offense, you're, you're kind of hearing a little bit more of his name towards the end of the first right now. All right, let's move now into our mailbag section. Really good round of questions today, including one that I thought is really timely. I don't know if this question came in before or after the Kings traded for Victor Arvidsson on Thursday, um, but Carlos F. asks, there are rumors LA is willing to move at number eight for more immediate help. Would you agree with that strategy of the Kings trading the, the eighth pick for, for now talent? And uh, where would a player they could select in that position slot among their current prospect pool? Yeah, like with any trade question, it's always, I think, contingent on on what you're getting back. Right. But I think, you know, that I think he's kind of, Carlos is getting more at the strategy in terms of, you know, where the direction of the franchise is. And obviously the, the team is still not good. And it's hard to imagine them being good next season, even though they did just acquire Victor Arvidsson and, and who knows how the rest of the uh, offseason would go and, and the progress of some of their top prospects. Um, and these are always interesting questions I have with NHL people. And some, I, I think, would agree with maybe some of the inclinations of fans that, you know, when you're rebuilt, you got to commit that, it's, you know, it's time to tear it down and just get high picks and a lot of lottery picks and, and get all the talent you can and have your bad seasons. But then there's the other pool of thought that I hear from, from I would say more uh, than the other, the other pool of thought from NHL people is that at some point you got to start turning it around a little bit. You can't just keep losing over and over again. Otherwise you kind of build what they will call a culture of losing where, where players don't like playing there. Players want to leave. Um, you know, in LA, obviously it's a premium market in terms of where people want to live. So maybe it's a little bit different in that regard, but Eventually, they say you, you got to try and you know put yourself in a position to win more games. You got to get your young players in a position where they're competing for a playoff spot. So 
that's always one of the most interesting questions when you're doing a rebuild is, is when do you start to kind of, you know, flip the page a little bit and, and make an effort to try to win more, really try to win more games. You're obviously always trying to win, but there's kind of and, and really trying. And I, I can see LA kind of being on that precipice that they have a really, a lot of really good young players in their farm system, a lot of which were in the American League last season. And you could envision some of them moving on. You know, you can envision Artie Cali and Quentin Byfield being on in the NHL next season, for example. Uh, and you can envision Alex Turcott. Maybe he's there. Maybe he needs an extra, an extra year. But at some point, a lot of these guys are going to start to get there. And it's gonna, it would be ideal to have them be surrounded by a core. I don't think it's realistic to expect Cali and Byfield, you know, for example, to be top-line forwards next season. Uh, so I can see them... When I look at this team, I say, you know, they're probably not quite there yet. You like to see a little bit more confirmation from those young players that, that they're ready to take the next step. I haven't quite seen that yet. Yes, like Mikey Anderson was good last season. Bjorn Foots had some good times in the pro, but like their top, top, top young guys haven't taken that step yet. Um, so I'd be a little bit more hesitant, but, but they're probably close to, to making that turn. To me, like I, so I cover a rebuilding team, right? I cover a team that's definitely <laughs> all in on the rebuild. So I'm well versed in the, in the question of, do you, uh, keep on, keep on waiting until you're ready to, to like, till you're ready to turn the corner being driven by your own young guys, or do you go out and bring new, new players in? I'm well versed in that. Two things make me really think LA is, is a team that can go ahead and, and start, uh, looking for win now players. Number one is Anze Kopitar. And I don't think, I mean, they've, they've been a rough team even with Kopitar for, for a few years now, picking in the top 10. He's still playing at a really high level. He's like 50 yep. points, I think, last year. And I, I don't think, I think in the next couple of years, you're still going to get like this caliber of play from Kopitar. And if you can surround um, him with some really good, you know, age 24 to 26, 27 talent, Arbison's 28. Uh, talent, and then you also are are integrating your prospects like the Kaliavs and the, and the Turkovs of the world, and of course Quentin Byfield of the world. Like I think you're in a position. The second reason is their division. Like they can make the playoffs in that division next year. They might even be able to do it without adding anybody else. But I think they can do it next year. Yeah, it's possible. Seattle complicates it a little bit, but the division isn't strong for sure. Yeah. So to me, I I like it for LA, and I would not uh, knock them. Uh, moving that eighth pick. Let's say they could get Reinhardt for the eighth pick. Do you like that? Yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, what is Sam Reinhardt's contract situation right now? I forget off the top of my head. I think he's an RFA. He's he's going to be 26. So he's not going to be a UFA unless he's played seven years. Yeah, that's what I believe. So, yeah, obviously, you know, it depends on whether you can get a contract worked out and what the terms of that contract are. But, but yeah, like that's kind of what you said. That would be a more not teenager, but a little bit – guy who's not old but not necessarily young that – you know, for the right price, it would it would make sense because at some point, you you know, you can I think, and I think it's you know, be unique for me to say this as a guy who covers prospects. I think sometimes you can have too many prospects. You can <laughs> you can invest too much in that because at some point, like I said, you've got to turn the page and start winning some games, and and not every prospect is going to help you do that. Just real quick to answer the second part of his question: Where would let's say they let's say they sit tight and they can get one of Eklund, Johnson, or Brant Clark? Where would one of those guys rank in their current prospect pool? I know you probably don't have it right in front of you. It's probably a little bit unfair of me. But. Yeah, like I would ha- haven't gone through LA system in the second half here yet, but I would presume like once you get past Byfield, then you're you're in that discussion. You know, where does he yeah. where does he rank relative to to Kalia, Turcott, uh, Fajamo, uh, Bjornfoot, etc. Maybe not Bjornfoot, but uh, but the, 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 those forwards I mentioned that you know they're those guys would I think all be in that reasonable range of conversation. 
Next question is from Adam E. And he says, in the first round of a draft, how much information, if any at all, do teams have about other teams' potential picks? So his example is, if you are LA at number eight, do they have a good idea of who San Jose is likely to take at number seven, Detroit number six, stuff like that? Or are they kind of uh, in the dark in the in the way that the public is? I would say they have a little bit more informed speculation than the public does. They don't have everything. I mean, I think, you know, at the end of the day, a lot of scouts are in the job of, of being information exchangers um, in, in terms of not only in terms of their evaluations, but finding as much information they can about the players that, in general, and that means also where they're going. I think you'll oft, you'll often hear when when teams interview players or coaches, they'll kind of prod to kind of you know talk to them about like what are you hearing, like who's talking to this guy the most, uh, who's inquiring the most about this guy, what are, what are you hearing, you know who who likes this guy the most, kind of thing. Now, all that speculation kind of goes on, especially in the second half of the season. In a normal season, with the with the major caveat, you know you'll start. You know, at games, you'll start seeing guys eye up who's showing up at rings. If a head scout shows up, particularly if like an assistant general manager or a general manager shows up at a game, uh, that was or that's when you usually start hearing like text messages start going around of like, hey, this guy's at you know this you know OHL game for example, uh, and you know, that, that wouldn't be a typical place for him to show up. And there's a guy that might go right in his range that's in that at that game. So you start seeing a lot of that going on. Not as much this season, since a lot of decision makers, you know, couldn't cross the borders. There could be a guy in the United States who loves a Western Canada guy, but only watched him on video. So I would say this season you have less information than you usually do. Um, but, but teams are trying to do that because just like how people in the media do mock drafts, teams themselves are doing mock drafts internally to try and figure out to the best of their abilities, you know, who's going to be available at their picks, you know, what, what kind of trade up, trade down scenarios do we need to prepare for, et cetera? Yeah, that's good. Uh, Grimlock L said so he he is hearkening back to your ranking of Cole Coffee. I don't remember exactly where you had him. I think you had him pretty high uh, in the 2019 draft. He wants to know has his recent play in the playoffs exceeded even your expectations, and what do you think a realistic full season point projection for him would be given kind of this these, this new data from this postseason? Yeah, I think given what he's done, when especially in the, you know the regular season was strong, and and his playoffs obviously has has been very strong for a guy his age. I didn't realistically expect him to be you know a top six whatever top nine forward on right. a Stanley Cup final team right away. Um, and I really like Cole. I would say I haven't calibrated it too too much. I haven't when I've watched him in the last couple of games. The question I have for me is: Is did I underrate the skating? Is the skating better than I actually thought it is? And I'm not 100 percent sure I'm all the way there yet. I'll, I'll have to dig into him on the shift by shift basis in the NHL at some point to to, to really answer that question. I still probably see like a 30 30 guy. You know, you know, as, as his projection a true top line forward. I'm not sure. He rises to like the forty whatever plus goal kind of like star sure. star range because he's not. I don't think the skating is really elite for a guy that size. It's good, but not like not like amazing. So that's kind of where I would be right now. But I think given how well he's played, um, uh, you know, he's you know, he, I think he begs you to 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 review your assumptions for sure. And also just the fact that he's doing it at this time of year and in a time where yep. if you were going to say there's a time when a 5-7 goal score would maybe be expected to struggle a little more, he's not. Like, he's he's found a way. Yeah, and he's not scoring that much, but in terms of just, you know, he's, you know, he does uh, a lot of he what gets he's done. He gets his chances. Yes, I was about to say, he did, he's doing a lot of what he did in junior and college. He gets a lot of scoring chances, a lot of graded opportunities. 
Um, a lot that he's creating, not just because he's in the right spot, the right place, but through his speed and skill. Um, so that's where I think it's interesting for sure. I think he's going to be an early uh, Calder Trophy favorite for next year. We'll see. We'll see how that goes. Neil S wants to uh, know about Olin Zellweger, who seems to be a rising prospect after uh, the U18s. Do you think Olin Zellweger? He's another defenseman has a chance to be a first round pick. Mm-hmm. If so, why? If not, why not? Yeah, I hear. I heard some late one chatter coming out of the U18s for him. I I would say not enough to where I think it's definitely going to happen. I would still bet he's a second round pick. Um, if you're doing a, if you're doing a mock draft, uh, and just because I think just because of the size and I think he's got pretty strong feet, if not exceptional feet, uh, for a guy that size. So I think that's where the hesitation will come with NHL scouts. But you know, uh, he is a really young uh, player too. I think he's a week or two removed yeah, from being eligible from next year's draft, and he's not the kind of young guy here. Like, oh, he's really talented. He has some flashes. No, he played really well this season. Like, you go to Everett, uh, Everett's games where he played, where Everett was a top team in their division, the WHL, and he was playing like twenty five, twenty seven, sometimes thirty minutes a night for that team, and and playing really well in the WHL. Then he goes to the U eighteen Worlds and. Doesn't play amazing, but he had a really strong tournament and elevates to, to the first power play unit for Canada. And you know, this is the kind of guy who I think you can you can reasonably ask questions. Well, if he was born a week or two later, like what would the what would the excitement be about this guy for next year's draft? And I think that would be reasonable to ask. Um, yeah, I have him kind of right, right around that late one, early two range for me because I don't think the skate the skating is good is not exceptional, but it, it, just from people I talked to, I wouldn't be shocked if he went late first. Better than a point per game, both WHL and internationally at the U18s for Canada this year. For a guy that young, that that obviously stands out. Yep, for sure. All right. Um, Yankees and Penguins says, how many players from next... Here's a good one. Speaking of late birthdays, how many players from next year's draft class would be the number one pick or projected number one pick in this year's draft? Uh, I've kind of, you know, obviously I I watched a lot of the top underagers at the U18 Worlds and familiar with some of them and... um, Whenever I talk about a class a year out, I say with the extreme caveat, this is a really, 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 really early assessment, and this will probably change a lot over the next 12 months. But I would say Shane Wright would go above Owen Power, and I'm not sure there's another guy that goes above Owen Power based on what I know about Owen Power now and based on what I know about the other underage guys right now. I think there's some really nice players in next year's draft. Obviously, people know about Brandon Lambert and Matthew Savoy. Um, I think the two Russian wingers, Ivan Miroslavchenko and Daniela Yurov, are, are really good players. I thought Connor Geeky had a fantastic season in Winnipeg, um, but uh, and I think some of the Slovakians, Yurov, Slavkovsky, Simon Nemec, uh, David Yurchek, the Czech defenseman—they're all really great prospects. But uh, I have—I wouldn't say any of them showed me uh, they would elevate over what we know about Owen Power right now, other than Shane Wright. Here's the kind of reverse of that question. This is, how would Bowen Byram in his draft year have stacked up? This is from Grimlock L. Oh, two from Grimlock today. Grimlock, we're going to get you on this next time. I don't know if we can let you eat up this much airtime, but we'll stick with it because I love the question. Uh, how would draft year Bowen Byram stack up with the top 4D of this year's draft? Power, Hughes, Clark, and Evanson. Okay, that's a good question because I, I really like Bowen Byram a lot in his draft season, and I think uh, I still like him a lot, but he's fallen off a little bit. I think Bowen Byram in his draft season would be my number two defenseman right now. Uh, just because you, you go, really, go go back in time a little bit, like Bowen Byram was, you know, great. The Hunka Gretzky had a really strong WHL season. He was an absolute force in the WHL playoffs, like just a monster performance. Where you're like, oh, this guy's an elite skater. Look at all this offense. He's such a good defender too. Uh, some scouts didn't agree with that. That last part, mind you, but I thought he was a good defender. 
physical. You're like, yeah, this guy looks like a stud. Um, you know, fast forward two years, still a really top end prospect, but I would say like you're starting to debate, okay, where does he fit with Hughes, Clark, Evanson? It's probably, you know, someone would have him two, someone would have him four, someone would have him five, someone would have him, three, you know, like it would, he would be more, it would be more like he's in the blob kind of thing. All right. And then last one, Adam Lowe, what percent chance do you give that one of those top four D, Power, Hughes, Clark, and Edvinson, will be available to the Kings at the eight spot? Obviously, if you look at their pipeline right now, uh, they're very center heavy. They could probably use one of these guys falling to them at eight if they if they stand and make that pick. Yeah, I think there's a pretty good chance. I think I would say 70, 75% chance one of those guys will be there. Never a lock just because they're, they're four guys that teams are really, really excited. They're four players that teams are really, really excited about. And uh, I can't guarantee that players of those calibers will be there at eight. Uh, but I would say with how much teams are excited about um, William Eklund and Mason McTavish and Dylan Genther, uh, I would say that you know you got a really strong chance if you want one of those four that they'll be there. It might be, would I be correct in saying it's most likely that that would be Clark? Yeah, I would say teams. I would say teams would say that would be the one guy that would be the best odds to be there. Not a guarantee. Like I said, there's some division on Evanson, the division on Hughes. You know, the drafts can be uncertain, and we'll see what happens in a couple of weeks. But that would be the guy that I would that I would do in a mock draft right now, for sure. All right, well, that's going to do it for us today. Then thank you all for listening to this episode of the Athletic Hockey Show and this episode of the Prospect Series in particular. Uh, we'd love if you'd follow us on your favorite podcast platform, leave a rating and review, especially if you're enjoying it. Uh, that always really helps us out. And, and as the draft gets closer, I think we're three weeks away right now. Annual subscriptions to The Athletic are just $3.99 a month when you visit theathletic.com slash hockey show. I cannot recommend it enough. Corey's going to have so much more good stuff coming. Scott Wheeler's going to have so much more good stuff coming. Uh, and, and you're going to want to be there to read all of it. So that's it for us today. We'll talk to you soon.